about your psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Basement here on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. I'm joined by uh, my guy, Graham Matthews from Bleacher Report, Daily DDT. My man, how you doing? Happy to be back, Randy. Doing great. I believe this is my second appearance on the show, even though we've recorded about four episodes That's so right. far, but it's all out of order <laughs> due to the timing of each episode. But uh, happy to be back here on the show. That's right, man. You've been on the show, uh, aside from me, the most times of uh, any guest so far. So, you know, that's the norm because we, we always do the show <laughs> every single week. But uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Um, you can follow Graham on Twitter at WrestleRant. You can follow me at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y. The letter J-C-R-U-Z. Great work by Graham for both Bleacher Report and Daily DDT. Go check out the work right now. Um, so, brand new episode wrestling basement we just kind of bring up some throwback retro topics when it comes to pro wrestling and uh today kind of interesting one so i brought the idea to graham last week uh we have an anniversary coming up uh judgment day 2000 the reason why i i brought that up was because uh i do recall the iron man match between the rock and triple h uh being the main event of that pay-per-view we are coming up on 20 years for that match, and Graham off the to, you know to the side told me that oh great because that could be the greatest Iron Man match of all time. So we'll touch up on that. We'll touch, touch up on the McMahon Helmsley era from almost 20 years ago. Did it propel Triple H to be uh, a superstar, a mega superstar? The roles of Vince and Stephanie McMahon um, and Shane and how that. Just how that time elevated both them and the company. So, Graham, I know when this was going on live, you was probably like maybe what five, four years old. So, very, <laughs> I was very five young. years old at this point. Yeah. Um. So, when did you hear, or when did you first start seeing this whole McMahon Helmsley uh, regime? Um, well, like I've said before, I mean, we, we discussed this back on the in your house episode from last week that we did that I have since gone back and rewatched every WWE pay-per-view on the network. Now I didn't go from 85 to modern day in order. I would, for example, I would watch all the judgment days. I would walk, I would watch all the backlashes together. I would watch all the unforgivens together. Right. So when I went back and watched judgment day is a very good pay-per-view personally. I like backlash more unforgiven, more mm. not so much judgment day, but this I thought was a very good show. And you also have to remember too, that 20 years is a long time. That's a crazy, it's, it's crazy to think it's been two decades since this match. Not yeah. that I was watching at that point, but 2000 dude, the best year, I would say, consistently from an in-ring standpoint in the company's history. Now, this wasn't their best pay-per-view. Uh, Fully Loaded was a great show. It was a very good show. Fully Loaded was better. Backlash, I would argue, was probably better. The Royal Rumble, from what I can recall, I mean, the Rumble match itself, it wasn't great, but it was a very good show overall, from what I can recall. SummerSlam was a good show. It was just a great, uh, No Way Out was a great show, too. Just a great year for wrestling. Judgment Day was no exception. But the McMahon-Helmsley regime era really dominated, I would say, the year 2000 from, you know, Triple H's feuds with, you know, not uh, yeah, Stone Cold Steve Austin when he came back a little later on in the year. Um, the Undertaker 
Kurt Angle was one. Kurt Angle and Triple H had a lot of great chemistry. The Rock, of course, which we're talking about today, him and Mankind from earlier on in the year. Um, I would I would say before we go even any further, dude, I would mm-hmm. say this. For anyone who has not seen it, before you even watch this match, go back and watch the Mankind matches from earlier on in 2000 and also watch the episode of WWE Untold that went up on the network about a week or two ago, focusing on the whole Triple H, Stephanie, uh, Mick Foley feud from 2000. They right. go into a lot of detail about the whole Cactus Jack thing, Mick Foley retiring, quote unquote, and all that other stuff. So that really sets the stage, I would think, for the year that is Triple H and WWE in 2000. You made a great point, and I'm looking at it right now as you were um, answering about the roster the company had in 2000. Um, it's a lot of names, man. It's... It, it's um, Stone Cold, The Rock, Jericho, Shamrock, uh, Kane, Undertaker, Edge, Mankind, uh, The New Age Outlaws, uh, The Godfather, uh, the Hardy Boys, Dudley Boys, yeah, X-Pac, The Hardys, Al Snow, The uh, the Acolytes, The Dudleys, D'Lo Brown, Kurt Angle, uh, Val Venus, wow, there's just a lot of people, um, on this roster, plus you add in like, you know, Shane and Vince and Stephanie involved. So um, I think it just, I think one of the better rosters they had when it comes to that attitude era back in the day. I know in modern time, people can look like or go to like 06, 07, 08 as like, a, you know, top to bottom, like, wow, the toughest, strongest um, roster they had. But when you mentioned 2000, man, I think that was the peak of like, or, or, or at least getting to the peak of the Attitude Era for the company. And, and they were knocking at, knocking at the park with Unforgivings and Judgment Days and uh, Over the Edge and, and, and whatever it was back then. So I, I do agree with you that this roster right here, if not the best, is one of the top top five rosters they had. No, absolutely. I think there's several different time periods. I would agree. I would point to 2000 off the top of my head in terms of overall best rosters. Mm-hmm. I would put today up there too, but the issue with today's roster is that there's not a lot of stars. Like for example, AJ Styles is a star. Is he a superstar the same way that half of the people that you mentioned are? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think today's roster is up there. 2000, I would say 08, like you said, 92. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was watching the 92 Royal Rumble randomly the other day, and I just it stunned me how stacked that roster was from yep. top to bottom at that point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. And that was pre-Warrior return, too, um, back in early 92. But anyway, yeah, 2000 had a great roster. Everyone felt like a star. Even freaking Naked Midian felt like a star <laughs> at that point, despite how terrible some of the wrestlers were you know, back in, in 2000. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, another thing, too, was that Judgment Day, every pay-per-view dude felt like a big four pay-per-view. It wasn't like yes. today and in recent years where like, yeah, WrestleMania is memorable. But do you remember anything that happened at Extreme Rules two years ago? Probably not. No. But you can remember what happened at Judgment Day back in 2000 because it was just a stacked card from top to bottom with, again, as you mentioned, as I have said before, the greatest Iron Man match in WWE history. So let's go right there, right uh, right now. So I know we'll get to the match later on. But when you think of Iron Man matches, of course, you think of WrestleMania 12 with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. You think of The Rock and Hunter from Judgment Day, uh, other Iron Man. I know that there's been a half hour Iron Man matches. Um, if if I'm forgetting, did you say Sean and Kurt by any chance? Sean and Kurt Angle from what pay per view? I don't think it was Vengeance. I think they had it. I feel like they had it. Yeah, it was a 30 minute Iron Man match on the homecoming episode of Raw when they went back to USA in uh, I think October of '05. It wasn't like the greatest Iron Man match ever. The fact you don't remember it kind of you know explains that. Mm. But um, it was a very good match. Um, in modern years, you know the Bailey and Sasha Banks won also thirty minutes, but that's a good Iron Man match. Even John Cena and Randy Orton, I thought, had a very good Iron Man match mm. about a decade ago at Bragging Rights, two thousand and nine. What a random oh, wow. pay per view. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, there's been there's been some good ones. Even recent years, there was the thirty minute one between uh, the Bar and the Hardy Boys. They had a good match. You know, there's been a quite a few in recent years. They went a while without. Back then, there hasn't really been a lot. You know, they had the Sean and um, Brett one, as you said. They had this. I, I can't think of many more, to be honest with you, from that time period. I just can't think of too many. Mm. 
Now, are you counting this amongst the half-hour Iron Man matches or the full-hour ones? In terms of the greatest ever? Yeah, I, I, I would assume if you're, if you're saying this is the greatest ever, you, you're, you're competing it against probably one match, and that's Bret and Sean, right? Well, yeah. I mean, when I say the greatest Iron Man match, I mean half hour, 15 minutes, 30 okay. minutes. It doesn't matter the time to me. I mean, I'm not talking about outside of WWE because mm-hmm. I can't speak to, I don't know, fucking Japan or whatever. Because <laughs> granted, Japan doesn't really have Iron Man matches as far as what I, maybe they do. I'm an, and I'm an idiot, but they just have 30 minute ma- or 60 minute matches that go to a draw that aren't Iron Man. But like, for example, Kenny Omega and Pac had a very good Iron Man match on Dynamite a few months ago. I'm not including those, but even that, I mean, I think this is better than that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think the only other match that would come close, in my opinion, to topping this would be Brett and Sean, which again, listen, it's not my favorite match, but that doesn't mean it's I not know. good. We've been over this before. We've, we've talked about it many times on Twitter here on your show. Yep. It's a great match. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying it's the weakest one. It's, it's a very good match, but I still think that this is better. Okay, real quick. So we have Hunter the Rock, Judgment Day. We have Brett and Sean, WrestleMania 12. You mentioned Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels from the Raw Homecoming in 05. There yep. is John Cena, Randy Orton from Bragging Rights, you mentioned from 2009. We have Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, Backlash 01. And we have Benoit, Triple H from, from Raw 04. So those are yes. quite a few of uh, Iron Man. Now, do I re- you know recall most of them? No. But I do recall WrestleMania 12, and I do recall uh, Day. We also have Brock, Brock, oh, Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle. Dude, I was just about to say, I'm looking at the list right now. I just pulled it up. I'm uh, such an idiot. I have no idea how I forgot Brock and Kurt. That's one of the, uh, that's one of the best matches in SmackDown history. How could I forget about that? Exactly. Um, this is still better than that, but that was a good match, too. Okay, so, whoa. Bret, Bret Hart, Ric Flair was the first... Iron Man match in 1993. Yeah. What? I'm seeing that too, but it's it was a house show. I never okay. knew that. Yeah, Brett Owen. Yeah. Then you get Sean and Brett. Yeah. Triple H and the wow. So you, wow. Okay, four years apart. Then mm-hmm. you fast forward. You get to Kurt Sean. You get to uh, Eminem and Charlie Haas and Hardcore Holly. You get uh, Miz and Morrison. Jimmy, wow, that was a that was a uh, Iron Man match. Jimmy Wang Yang and Shannon Moore, John Cena, Randy Orton, Triple H, and Curtis Axel. Whoa, Bailey, Sasha, Kevin Owens, AJ Styles at a live the house show. Charlotte, Sasha at Roadblock. Cesaro, Sheamus, you mentioned in the Hardys, and then Dolphin, Seth Rollins. So we haven't had an Iron Man match in two in two years. Yeah, two years. Yeah, they yeah, were doing one bad. once a year for a while there between, you know, uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. Thankfully, it's been a little while since we've had one. I mean, listen, I, I'm glad that we're getting more, but it shouldn't be once a year. It should be once every few years. And I'm glad we don't have, I mean, is it only inevitable, Randy, before we have a WWE Iron Man pay-per-view? Like, we don't That's fucking right. need one of those. That's right. Um, I think, you know, this is, we talk about it all the time. This is one of the last remaining matches, in my opinion, that still feels special. Like Money in the Bank, I love, and I think they do a good job with Money in the Bank more often than not. Hell in the Cell, though, TLC, we see that shit so constantly with so watered-down matches mm-hmm. that I couldn't even tell you the last five Hell in the Cell matches that there have been. I mean, I, I probably could because I'm a psycho and I remember all the dumb shit, but um, you know, I, I don't think most people probably could. The Iron Man matches, I can, though, because they're all memorable. I, I've yet to see a bad Iron Man match, and from the ones that I'm looking at here on the list, I mean, granted, fucking... John Morrison and The Miz versus Jimmy Wang Yang and Shannon Moore. Wow. It was a 15-minute match. I mean, it was on ECW. <laughs> of course, no one remembers that. But for the major matches, though, I think everyone can say that uh, they're some of the greatest matches in company history. Mm. Um, real quick, so it's amazing how the last five Iron Man matches from Bailey Sasha all the way to, to, to Dolphin Seth, um, five Iron Man matches in a matter of three years. Like that, I think that's way too much. Yeah, no. Thankfully, they haven't done one since. Yeah, uh, one of those was a house show, but yeah, no. I think it, I think it was so cool when they did it with Bailey and Sasha, which we, you know, already discussed, but it won't be up on a future episode uh, of your. 
until the summer when we have you know celebrate five years. Yeah. This was the rematch though. I think that was so special because we hadn't seen first of all an Iron Man match in like six years, and second of all because we had never seen it with the women. Um, and it had been a long time since they had done one. And I'm not including this dumb one they have on Wikipedia here between Curtis Axel and Triple H. It wasn't a fucking <laughs> Iron Man match. The match never really got started. No, no one won anything. It was just a joke. Mm-hmm. I remember. I mean, there's a whole explanation here in Wikipedia, but it was a joke. Um, the Cena and Orton one, I remember. So it had been a while since they had really done an Iron Man match. So uh, it, it really felt special. And it feels special now, but, you know, the, the Ziggler and Rollins one, right. which did main event that Extreme Rules show two years ago, mm-hmm. it was very boring. Like, you would think it'd be a great match given their chemistry, but it just didn't really gel well at all. I remember the match, and it just kind of dragged until the final five minutes or so but um yeah so i think they could really benefit from doing less of the matches but not like one every 10 years like they have to find a right balance so we get the rock we get triple h at judgment day 2000 may of 2000 uh but before that we have to rewind just a little bit so you know them two guys been going at it for, for quite a while you go back to when hunter was in dx the rock was with the nation um, and it's it funny. It's funny how they both started. Like Hunter was was the blue blood, and The Rock was just this this goody two shoe good guy. And you know, then they evolve into the the new characters of like DX, and The Rock was you know, with the Nation or The Rock, as opposed to Rocky Maivia. Uh, the Nation DX, uh, the the latter match at SummerSlam '98. Um, both you know becoming world champions. Both were good guys. Both were bad guys. And you finally get them. Here, um, do you think that this match is the peak of the Rock and Triple H rivalry? And what what do you how would you how would you describe the actual rivalry between the Rock and Triple H? Oh, it's legendary. I feel like it really kind of in a way people remember the Triple H Rock feud, but I feel like in a way it's overshadowed by Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Rock, and then. Stone Cold and McMahon, which really dominated most of 97 through 90 or 2001, rather. The Triple H and Rock feud, it's so great because not only does it span over the course of a couple of years, Mm -hmm. they had so many great matches and they always brought the best out of each other. And they really were an example of two people who helped elevate each other too. a lot like Austin and Rock did. Rock and Triple H. For elevating each other, going back to that ladder match at SummerSlam '98 for the Intercontinental Championship, one of the few periods, um, at least you know from between then and now, where the championship really felt important. You know, between two guys that would go on a headline WrestleMania, become multi-time WWE champions, and with um, you know Triple H, I think Triple H won that one, didn't he? I think Rock was champion going in. Triple H won the belt on that show, didn't he? Yeah. So it was one of those things a lot like Austin and Rock where they had a feud going even before they ever collided in the main event. And then they revisited it. And these two guys took the fucking ball, dude, and ran with it. Because Austin, you got to remember, you talked about the stacked roster before. Stone Cold Steve Austin was out hurt for almost all of 2000. He got hurt in late 99. He was gone up until like Survivor Series of 2000. Right. He was gone for a long time. So you would think, oh my God, the entire Attitude Era built around Austin. The, the company is done for. That wasn't the case whatsoever. They had one of their best in-ring years of all time, kind of relying not only on Austin and, um, I'm sorry, not Austin, not only relying on Rock and Triple H, but also people like Benoit, on Chris Jericho, on Kurt Angle, all guys who came in in the subsequent months and fucking killed it in the main event spot. Now, I don't think any of them, I mean, Kurt Angle did hold the championship for a while later on in the year, but um, still, it, it was really up to Rock and Triple H to hold down the fort while Austin was out, and they knocked it out of the park, not only with their feud, but just the matches in general were just so, so good in that continued year. But to answer your question in short, yeah, I would probably say that this was the peak of the Triple H and Rock feud. What was your... What was your favorite version of The Rock and your favorite version of uh, Hunter? Because at this time, you know, Hunter's a bad guy. He's with Stephanie and Vince, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, this is, um, you know, my time, Triple H. This this, this yes. the game just yet, if, if I'm not mistaken. The Rock had gone from good, uh, good guy to, to nation to good guy to the corporation. And now back he's to back, guy, to, yeah. back to a good guy. So out of all the versions of the rock and triple h what was your favorite one for each 
Um, up until this point, I'm not sure, but I would say my favorite all-time interior or, uh, iteration, my all-time favorite, you know, whatever period of The Rock's career mm-hmm. would have to be Hollywood Rock. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't long, but it was absolutely amazing. Had some good matches with Goldberg, with Stone Cold, with Hulk in that early 03 period. It's hard to hate The Rock. It really is, even at this point. Um, I mean, he's a babyface in 2000, but whenever he was a heel, he was so entertaining. That's why he always turned back to being a babyface. Yeah. Because he was so fucking entertaining, you know? Um, but 03 was kind of the same thing. He did a great job of eliciting genuine heat. Um, the promos were outstanding. We hadn't really seen anything like that before with the Hollywood stuff. I mean, I know Hogan was doing Hollywood Hogan over in WCW, mm-hmm. but in WWE, no one had really done the Hollywood thing and, until The Rock had done it back in 03, from what I can recall. For Triple H... I would probably say this version of Triple H because I would say, I mean, I'm not the only one who thinks this, but when he gets hurt in April of 01 on Raw in that amazing tag team match and when he tore his squad, uh, Triple H was never the same after that. A lot like when Stone Cold broke his neck, he came back and he had to do more of a brawling style. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Triple H. He was not the same wrestler he was post-quad injury as he was before. When that injury happened... Um, you know, before that injury happened, the guy was the MVP. I will debate anyone on this all day. Triple H was the MVP of WWE in 2000, and he had some great matches with a variety of opponents up until I would say the last truly great match that he had before he got hurt, aside from the match that he got hurt in, was the Undertaker match at WrestleMania 17. So um, this being one of them. But yeah, Triple H, this would probably be my favorite iteration. I like DX Triple H. It's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The Reign of Terror from 02 to 05. He was a good heel, but he buried a lot of people, like outright buried people. So that probably wouldn't be it. I've enjoyed Triple H in the last 10, 15 years. But yeah, my favorite Triple H would have to be this one. He just screamed like, man, this guy's fucking awesome, you know? (laughs) So you're more of a fan of bad guy rock and bad guy hunter as opposed to good guy rock hunter, right? I'm sorry, the last part cut out, but you said bad guy hunter and then good guy rock or you say Hollywood rock? Yeah, so I'm saying so you're... you're, in general, you're you're more of a fan of, of Rock being a bad guy and Hunter being a bad guy, right? Oh, correct. Yeah, okay. I think both guys thrive as good guys, which is why they've been good guys for most of their careers is because people love them so much. Mm. But in terms of their character, it's the same thing with Randy Orton, dude. Like, he turns face so frequently because people love him. But in terms of pure character work, he is way better as a heel, as are Rock and Triple H, in my opinion. So at this point, Hunter is um, with McMahon with Stephanie, with Vince McMahon, Stephanie and Shane, and the uh, McMahon-Helmsley faction. So that starts off um, uh, in 99. I think Stephanie's going to marry Test. And then Hunter does something where he has Stephanie in the car on Raw, and they get married. And, <laughs> and then, like, I'm watching this live, bro, and it's like, wow, like they just keep giving out all these storylines, and they're very you know, entertaining at the time. So lo and behold, um, I think Hunter and, Hunter and McMahon supposed to have a match at uh, Armageddon at Armageddon 99. And if Hunter was to win, he would get a world title shot. If McMahon was to win, then the marriage would have to break off. And then lo and behold, you get Stephanie Turney on Vince and Shane and now she's down with Hunter and they start the whole McMahon-Helmsley regime. So as you are going back in your your, your history and watching those pay-per-views and Raws, when you get to this part with Hunter is now with Stephanie and they uh, they form the, the McMahon-Helmsley regime, uh, what is going through your mind? Like, wow, this is Hunter. He's with the boss's daughter. Uh, what's really going on? Just doing great work. Again, I would say you really have to go back and watch The Untold on Triple H and Stephanie and how maybe this is inaccurate. This video, the the special they did, did not get a lot of traction. Mm. He said, or they both said, actually, they weren't dating at that point. No. Now, I know they got married in storyline, and I could have sworn they were dating when they were together on TV. I guess not. I guess they didn't start dating until soon after. Um, But they didn't have that chemistry yet. yet, I mean, in in real life, but, you know, they clicked immediately as an on-air act. Stephanie was never really meant to be, I don't think anyway, more than just a pawn in the storyline with Vince and Triple H and Taker before that, part of the whole ministry bullshit. But then she goes heel and Stephanie. I mean, we talk about Triple H and Rock, dude, but Stephanie was a real star. 
Like yeah. she really was a big part of that act. And Triple H would have done a great. But Stephanie was every bit as important to that act as Triple H was himself because she was so good at making people hate her and she was a great foil for people like Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho later on. She was just an integral part of that act. But yeah, again, Triple H firing in all cylinders promo-wise and especially in the ring. And The Rock was money in chase mode. I mean, The Rock, I think, came into the show as the champion. Um, yeah, he did. He came into the show as the champion because he won the belt at Backlash after failing to win it at WrestleMania. Yeah. It was just a great back-and-forth feud. This is the match, maybe not an Iron Man match, that too much like WrestleMania 12, but this is the match or the backlash match that we should have gotten at WrestleMania because that four-way was fucking trash. <laughs> Just terrible. <laughs> fucking trash. The one-on-one matches between Rock and, and, and Triple H mm. were just money. So this right. is what I think we should have gotten at WrestleMania. But to answer your question, uh, these guys were just killing it in their respective roles going into this match in 2000. So now we think that, you know, Stephanie's going to help Vince and she turns on him at that pay-per-view you begin the whole regime. I think Hunter, Hunter was. I know he, he became champion. Uh, I think the night after SummerSlam '99, if I'm not mistaken. No, not you're mistaken, right. Yeah, mankind. He beat wanted, mankind. Right, he beat mankind, and he, then they start this whole thing. And then you fast forward into WrestleMania 2000, where like at this at this point in time he's beefing with everybody from stone cold the rock and you know mick foley and uh big show and even you mentioned earlier wasn't sure if it's on the air or not but he had the rivalry with uh cactus jack mick foley at the rumble at, uh, at no way out hell in a cell matches and thumbtacks so at this point i think him being with stephanie uh you know kind of elevated him to a degree elevated his character he was with, he was still with dx at the time earlier in the year and it was just like all right they're good guys but they're bad guys and you just you just did not know the direction of that faction maybe it was yep. going to fade out at some point so hunter needed something brand new to do and he's now with stephanie he's getting world title shots he, he becomes world champion even stephanie becomes a champion uh for for, for, uh, for the women so they're just they're just running everything i think later on the outlaws came and they had they had the tag title so um did this particular time frame not saying because he got with stephanie on on camera but in this particular time frame do you think this whole thing um that the McMahon Helmsley era kind of elevated Hunter into a superstar, into a mega superstar, and now that he's with Stephanie and no longer with like the people like China and stuff like that. No, it definitely did. I mean, China was a great part of that act too. I mean, not yes. that Triple H wasn't a star before because he certainly was. And China, and the thing about China is that I don't know. I mean, maybe eventually. I don't think Triple H would have gotten over when he did. If it wasn't for China, I think China was more over than Triple H was back in yeah. 97. Yeah. That might be an unpopular opinion, but that's just kind of how I feel going back and watching it. She was a big part of that, you know, act and then DX later on. But with Triple H, when did he really become a star? I would say during the Mick Foley feud. They even outright said this themselves in the untold thing, which, again, I cannot recommend enough. You know, those. Triple H was a star. He had been champion a few times up until early 2000. Again, like you said, he beat Mankind, the Raw, after SummerSlam 99. So he'd already held the championship a few different times. And, um, you know, people were, were loving Triple H, not loving Triple H, but loving to hate Triple H. And he was just doing great work. And he was like an upper mid-card guy, but no one really knew. Again, I wasn't around at this point, but I, I'm, I'm assuming here. Didn't really seem like people were buying full in Triple H as a guy, as the guy, until... You know, the Mick Foley feud came around. So after the Mick Foley feud came and gone in early 2000, then it's like, okay, we can buy into this dude as more than just, you know, like a, a flavor of the month. Like the Miz was WWE champion for six months, never held the belt again after that because he didn't really have, I mean, that wasn't really his fault. Didn't have many breakout matches or many breakout, you know, promos or whatever. He just kind of had a run, lost it, never got it back. You know, same thing with Jinder and Kofi, people like that. Triple H was determined to not be one of those people. And I think that Mick Foley feud was really, in addition to the Stephanie stuff that was happening at the same time, that really pushed him in that direction. Mm. So I'm reading that in January of 2000. Uh, I think that's when he had the interview with uh, Jim Ross. So that was the one where he dubbed himself the game and... The cerebral, that, the I, I think, I mean, again, I might be, where'd you read that from? Because if it was, was it Wikipedia or? 
Uh, yeah, viable source, Wikipedia. <laughs> it, it might be Wikipedia. For some reason, I thought it was the summer of a 99. You, you, know, you know what? You you might be right because it says by January of 2000. So probably just before, I would say you're probably right. Summertime, fall time, he, he kind of said, you know, he's the game and stuff like that. Because again, they talked about in that documentary that it was on an episode of Raw. I want to say in July of '99 mm-hmm. um, that he had called himself the game in that in that Jim Ross interview, and he said in the doc too that he said it, it was just organic. They didn't tell him to say it; it right. just kind of came out. And they actually, he said, "I am the fucking game," and obviously, I had to bleep it out. That's right. But because Vince liked it so much, they had him do the line again from a different angle because it wasn't live, so they can't show his. So you didn't see his mouth say "fucking." You could hear it and they bleep it out, but they didn't want to show his mouth, you know, mm. saying, you know, dropping the F bomb or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that was all Triple H is doing. And he talked about how it was only a week or two later that a lot like Austin 316, it caught on. And then he's been the game ever since. You mentioned WrestleMania 2000. Um, it, it's not a show that I tend to go back and watch whenever I want. Um, I do recall the, the, the triangle ladder match. And off the top of my head, I don't recall that there's probably a Kurt Angle match on there or Jericho and Benoit, some shit like that. But the main event, um, just like you, man, I was not a fan of, fan at the time of the main event. Even when me trying to go back in hindsight, you know, man, WrestleMania 2000, Fatal 4-Way, The Rock, Hunter, Mick Foley out, out of retirement, Big Show, every McMahon in the corner of those four performers. Okay, it has potential. I think Hunter walked in as the champion. He walked out as champion. And uh, something about that match, man, I, it just didn't click. Or maybe, again, like you said, it should have been the Rock and Hunter in, in the main event. It shouldn't, should not have been Mick Foley. I get why they did it because he had the two prior matches at the Rumble and No Way Out. The Big Show, mm. you know, man, yeah, okay, Big Show. No, um, stupid. I mean, Big Show was a top guy at that point, but it, it really should have been Rock and Triple H straight up. But then also the McMahon-Helmsley regime gets stronger because, if I'm not mistaken, that's where Vince turns on The Rock, right? Yeah, WrestleMania, I believe. There you go. So now Vince is involved. Maybe he was involved in the whole the whole jump. He turns on The Rock, making the storyline even more powerful uh, for just a power trip going on in the company. So now Vince, Hunter, Stephanie, obviously you get Shane involved. Uh, Linda was not involved. And then... Um, from from that point on, man, like on on camera on TV, it's like it, it, it's like um, anything Vince McMahon is involved in, like any corporation or any faction, they're gonna get most of the TV time. They're gonna get every title shot. They, they'll become champions, and I think for that point in time, with no with no Stone Cold uh, on TV because of the injury. I think that was a good thing because you needed something really compelling. You needed a, a real villain, a real bad guy, and then you definitely had two of them between Hunter and Vince. So someone someone like The Rock and the Mankinds and Mick Foley and, and Big Show needed that villain to go after. So I think the McMahon-Helmsley regime at that point in time was the right time to do it. Yeah, most definitely. I think this was really the time to pull the trigger on that feud and – you know, Austin was out. They needed a new top heel. Triple H was that guy. They needed not, uh, top baby faces. Rock was that guy, and Mankind was that guy for a while going into WrestleMania. And then coming out of that, they turned Kurt Angle for a little while. So, um, yeah. No, I think I think the timing of the feud could not have been better. So, real quick, I'm, I'm trying to backtrack. All right, so how we got Hunter there was he was with DX at WrestleMania 15. He turned on them. He joined the corporation. And then uh, that's when he just started going on his own. And then he wins the world title. So, damn, Hunter was DX, (laughs) DX Corporation, McMahon Helmsley, Evolution, the uh, the the Authority. I don't know what I don't know what other a guy has been a part of like five different factions. Can you think of somebody off the top of your head right now? In the faction. Yeah, I mean, Hunter was down with, with five of them. DX Corporation, McMahon Helmsley, Authority. Oh, he had a shit ton of factions. Yeah, Evolution. Uh, the Authority. Yeah, The Authority. And, I mean, the, listen, The Authority. The Click, technically. The Click, yeah. 
the the authority is basically McMahon Helmsley 2.0. I mean, I'm not sure if you were a fan of the authority time frame. You probably was not because they were just on TV all the fucking time. Oh, it was awful. It was terrible. <laughs> so you you would take McMahon Helmsley era as opposed to the authority. 120%. I don't think, I mean, that's like saying, would I rather take Raw from 2000 or Raw from 2013? <laughs> I mean, it's Raw from 2000 all the way. I mean, I'm not always a big fan of the Attitude Era stuff, but the 2000 shows are just outstanding. And the, the 2013, largely 2014 shows are just abysmal. And I'm a fan of the current product. So, I mean, that, that's just a no-brainer right there to me. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but I think w- what was cool is that Hunter and Steph were just as evil and bad in 2013 as they were in 2000. It was like, yeah, Stephanie talked talk more uh, in, in, in 13 than, than 2000. But it's like, as a fan watching at home, anytime you saw Hunter and Steph, you're like, oh, come on, I can't stand these fucking people. And you fast forward 13 years later, they come on TV and they got suits on and this and I'm the coast, uh, COO. They're doing the power trip again. And it's like, I can't stand Hunter and Steph. But that shows you, like, they really do their job really well. Like, if, if if I can be a fan and watch you and say, I can't stand you every time you come on the mic or on the screen, it's like, you, you, you really do your job really well. No, yeah, exactly. I think they did a tremendous job of making people hate them. They're, that's that's the art of a true heel right there. That's kind of lost on a lot of today's heels and not mm-hmm. just WWE, but beyond. But uh, definitely, I think Triple H did that to a T. He's always been such a great heel, no matter whether it's 2000, even in the authority bullshit, it was just annoying. But hey, he was a great he, he was a great foil for Daniel Bryan, if nothing else, at that point. All right, so we get to Judgment Day. So the timeline is, all right, we know Hunter beats uh, Mick Foley at the Rumble. He beats Mick Foley at No Way Out. He wins at WrestleMania 2000. He drops the belt to The Rock at Backlash. That's where Stone Cold comes out and starts hitting everybody with a fucking chair. Um, and then, three weeks later, we get to the Iron Man match at Judgment Day. Um, I saw the match recently to prepare. I recall majority of the match and especially the ending. But um, you called this, before we, before we dive into it, you called this the greatest Iron Man match of all time. So I need to know why you feel The Rock and Triple H from Judgment Day 2000 is the greatest Iron Man match of all time, Graham. I mean, again, first of all, there's not a lot to choose from, as we established earlier. Mm -hmm. But just for a variety of factors from the bill that we just discussed, this being the heat, or rather the height of the Rock-Triple H rivalry. And just, uh, there's two, in my opinion, types of Iron Man matches. One where there's very minimal, you know, uh, you know, uh, what's uh, pinfalls or submissions or falls or whatever. I don't know how I brain farted on that. Mm-hmm. But there is also this type of match where there's constant near falls, constant pinfalls, constant submissions, where we end up with a record of like six and five, I think was the final score of this match. Yeah. Um, it constantly keep things exciting. There's a lot of different various factors that go into it. The crazy thing about it, dude, is that this is a match that I, I know I've said before. I think I talked about it on the last uh, Wrestling Basement episode of In Your House and Mick Foley, Mankind versus Shawn Michaels, and how that match, the Mind Games match, might be the greatest pay-per-view main event to ever end on a disqualification. Well, this is another one. This also, I mean, technically it ended for a win in a win for, for a Triple H. But the final fall was a disqualification after The Undertaker came out, which we'll get to, of course. And he just wrecked the whole thing. So even with that, you know, kind of a lame finish in some people's eyes, but it was the debut of the American badass dude. Like, no one gave a shit. Um, So, I mean, I think that, just the layout, the excitement, the crowd being in everything they did, the only, eh, not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons why I give this the edge over the Sean and Brett match is again because it's you know just consistently exciting. I think it's really whatever your personal preference is. For Brett and Sean, it's a great match. I just think it's two totally different time periods. One was 96, one was 2000. Two different styles of wrestling between the two eras, so to speak. And back in 96, I think it was okay. I mean, no one had really seen an hour-long match before on TV. They had been doing a lot of them years before, but not on a... Na- 
this on WWE TV. Uh, I, I don't know. I just think this is uh, a lot better in various ways, and I would rather watch this back five times than the Brett and Sean match, which kind of gets a little slow there at various points up until the final five or ten minutes, in my opinion. So you're more of a fan of multiple pinfalls in an Ironman match as opposed to everybody being tied 0-0 and going to overtime. Again, depends what it is. Depends what it is. I really like the Cena. It depends who we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. I think Brett and Sean, it worked. I mean, that's a great match. The story worked there because Sean had no pinfalls and then he had to go, you know, battle in overtime to finally get one. That worked. With Cena and Orton, an hour without anything is fucking death. There's no <laughs> yeah. one would give a shit. They had to do something new and do something exciting for every fall of the match. Ah. And they did. And that's why it was such a good Iron Man match. Right. The Rock and Triple H, you're not going to go out there and have an instant classic in terms of pure wrestling. So they kind of had to kill time somehow by doing all the smokes and mirrors. But that's what they're known for. And that's why this worked. So it depends who's in the ring. You know, I think like when Ziggler and Rollins did five and four a couple of years ago, I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, do they really have to go the whole th- like back and forth? They don't have to. They're, they're good enough in the ring where they can go the whole time without scoring a single pinfall up until the final minute or so. I'm a lot like Brett and Sean. So I, I think sometimes smaller or like fewer is better, like with Bailey and Sasha. But in this case, I think the 6-5 score really worked to their advantage. But that's just, again, my opinion. So before we get into the match, I do want to remind people of the actual card for Judgment Day 2000. We had uh, Too Cool (laughs) defeated Edge Christian and Kurt Angle. We had Eddie Guerrero defeated Di Malenko and Perry Saturn for the uh, European Championship. Shane McMahon defeated The Big Show in a False Count Anywhere match. Chris Benoit defeated Chris Jericho in a submission match for the IC title. DX of the Road Dog and X-Pac defeated the Dudley Boys uh, in a tag team tables match. And of course, we get Triple H defeating the, the Rock in a 60-minute Ironman match for the WWF Championship with Shawn Michaels as special guest referee. So we can't forget about that part. So, Grant, I'm listening, man. <laughs> If you were in a match and, it's, and they told you, hey, man, Sean's going to be your special guest referee. Are you uh, uh, excited? Are you confident? Because, you know, Sean can't be the, can't, he, you know, he can't always be the, the best referee, you know? Wasn't he the referee for a um, Triple H, what was it? Rock, what, it was the referee for the Triple H Rock match in the first episode of SmackDown in the hell Triple H win, didn't he? Like six months before this? Yeah, then he, he fucking super kicked the Rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if I'm the Rock, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, right, he already screwed over once. Why is he being appointed the referee again? Exactly. Uh, but I think that added, I, I, don't, I don't recall how Sean got into that spot. Uh, but I guess I guess it made sense for, to put Sean in that in uh, in that spot. So uh, main event an hour Triple H The Rock. Uh, so we'll break down the pinfalls real quick. So The Rock was up one zip uh, with a rock bottom at the ten minute mark. Then we go to Triple H China at one one after a pedigree at the twenty five minute mark. A minute later, Triple H wins another fall with an inside cradle. Uh, 32 minute mark Triple H with another pinfall with a power driver going up 3-1 then The Rock gets a, a, a pinfall with a DDT at the 40 minute mark 3 minutes later The Rock uh, uh, Triple H gets DQ'd for attacking The Rock with a chair so all tied up at 3 then Hunter gets a pinfall using the ropes at the 44 minute mark he's up 4-3 then Hunter's up 5-3 after a submission when The Rock passed out with a, a, a sleeper hold. Wow. At the 47-minute mark. Then The Rock gets a count out. He's, uh, he's down now 5-4. It's tied up at 5-5 at the people's elbow at the 58-minute mark. And then we get Hunter winning the last fall via DQ when The Rock was disqualified when The Undertaker came out. And just attacked everybody. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. as good as the match was, the Undertaker coming out at the end, uh, like you said earlier, debuting the American Badass. Uh, again, I don't. Okay, was he hurt? Was he out for a while? Then he came back uh, that night. I, I don't recall him being like uh, consistently on a show prior to that. Right? He was hurt. He was gone for a while. Right. 
No, that's why I think this is so such a good moment, not just because he's the American badass, but because he came back as the American badass after like a year away. Mm-hmm. He was he was gone for a long time. I want to say nine or ten months. I forgot what the injury was. Damn. But that was why he missed WrestleMania that year, which was his second WrestleMania missed after WrestleMania 10 um, because he was out hurt. So he was gone for such a long time, comes back, just not just the fact that the fact that he came back at all was cool. But the fact that he came back on a fucking motorcycle, it's like, yeah. holy shit, dude. Imagine that today. Like, that's that's insane. So I think that's why people remember this as fondly as they do. So sidebar, I know Taker Badass is going to be a whole different show for a different day. But can you imagine t- Taker coming out? With the regular gong and the, the, the slow entrance and the light turning off. I just don't think it would have made sense at that point in time. I think Taker at that time felt like he needed like a uh, like a like something to be refreshed. His character needs to be changed a little bit. Um, perfect time for that character to debut. He just chokeslammed everybody. Uh, motorcycle in hand, bandana, pony ponytail glasses just a different version of, of taker um i think it would not have worked if he came out as like the original taker as opposed to the badass yeah no i think yeah, i mean it still would have been a cool moment just because he had been gone for so long i mean the guy mm. the gong could have gone off and the people would have lost their minds just because people love undertaker but i mean again i wasn't around at that point so i can't say oh people were sick of taker i don't really yeah. know after doing much research on it you would probably you would probably know better than I would, and I just mm. – I don't know. I really don't know too much about how Taker was perceived prior to that point in terms of like the dead man thing because you got to remember that regardless of whether you know we can recall the hatred for Taker at that point or not or lack thereof. He had been the dead man dude for like a decade. He had debuted in 1990. Yeah. So by this point, he had been the dead man for about 10 years in WWE. It was time for something different. It just would not have been the same thing. Like – it's the same thing now. I don't think the Phenom character in 2020 works nearly as well as it did in the early 90s or even 10 years ago. He came back as the dead man in 04 because the American Badass gimmick also ran its course. I think a lot of people didn't like the American Badass gimmick for whatever at that time. Um, just I, I don't know. He was burying people. I have no clue. But you know, he was ready for a change, and he hasn't had a real change currently until he brought back the American Badass shit at WrestleMania 36. But yeah, I think it was time for a change, and this was the time to do it. And the better than in the pay per view, and then in the main event of a WWE pay per view for the WWE Championship between two top stars. And I think it made I think it made sense because before he left, he he was doing the the ministry stuff, right, with the corporation with, with McMahon. So, um, again, I got I got to find the bridge of how that ended to where he comes out. At Judgment Day, um, so he was doing that 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 ministry stuff, and again, I I thought that was pretty cool at the time, and all the sacrificing and Stephanie and McMahon being the higher power. So it just, I guess, everything kind of comes together at this at this show. So you get Hunter with the victory; he's now the the, the new champion. Uh, again, it just solidifies Hunter again, the peak of the Rock and Hunter rivalry, the peak of the McMahon Helmsley era, uh, the peak of the ascending star that Triple H would later become uh, with the game and everything. I think he would later continue the feud with The Rock. I think a month later at the King of the Ring, and then, you know, just the aftermath of it. So they have a six-man tag, and uh, I think it's The Rock, Undertaker, and Kane against Vince, Hunter, and Shane that if anybody uh, pinned a member of Hunter's team, they would become the new champion, and that was The Rock. So they, they kind of go back and forth for a few months with Backlash, Judgment Day, King of the Ring uh, with the belt. So um, I, I think it's it's up there as far as um, Iron Man matches. I think it's only that and the Brett and Sean that people could uh, try to compare it to. I, I got to see the, the Brock and Kurt Angle again from SmackDown. But I think the entire match was, was dope. You know, with the referee Sean being there, just the atmosphere, it it, it didn't seem boring. It's, it was very well entertained the, the entire the entire uh, match. You get Taker's return, new characters, so they still evolve in the storyline. And um, I just think it just peaked uh, with the Rock and Hunter and their rivalry right there at, at Judgment Day 2000. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I think overall, it's just a great piece of business. I mean, I would really have to go back. I don't know. I'm thinking off the top of my head and from what I've seen of the match. And I just remember watching and thinking, wow, this is such a great match. And it's Mm. just the, I don't even want to say culmination of a great year in WWE because they continue to have great shows after this. It's not like the culmination of the Attitude Era with WrestleMania 17, where it really fell off a cliff after WrestleMania 17 in terms of product excitement and stuff like that. You know, in-ring, great match, excitement, suspense, build, aftermath, moments, high stakes, star power. This match had everything and so much more. Again, tomatoes, tomatoes, people might prefer the Brett and Sean match more just because it's an older school match, first of its kind on TV, you know, different kind of build, Sean's crowning achievement, blah, 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 blah. And it's a great match. I'm taking nothing away from it. Right. I just think this is superior in almost every box. Uh, my last question before I let you go, Graham. Um, I think most I think most would say that Stone Cold is The Rock's biggest rivalry. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think those two are the biggest rivals for. I mean, mm, Stone Cold is The Rock's biggest rivalry. Vince McMahon is Stone, Stone Cold's biggest big rivalry. rivalry, but and then The Rock is Triple H's biggest rivalry. And I, I was, would say, I, would just I know get, some people might say Sean, and I would put him up there as well. But I think The Rock hasn't be, if only by a little bit. Yeah, I, I would just, I would just gonna get to that. So, The Rock is Hunter's biggest rivalry, right? Yeah, that's what I would say personally. Yeah, how they just, if only because of how they elevated each other and just the way that the whole. Feud was booked, start to finish. I mean, it was an, you know, they didn't plan for this back in you know August of '98, but they just kept going back to the match, and it just kept on delivering. So why wouldn't you keep on going back to it? You know. So out of all the Hunter and, and Rock matches, where does this uh, Iron Man match rank for you? Because we have this one, we had the ladder match at SummerSlam '98. I'm pretty. Uh, we have Backlash 2000. I might be missing a couple here and there, but where does this rank for you as far as their rivalry? Is this the greatest match between their rivalry? I think so. I would have to go back and watch. I think it's better than the ladder match. I would have to go back and watch the backlash match. I think it is better than that one, though. Again, just from what I can recall, I just think it's the greatest Iron Man match of all time. I can't say that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but for that reason alone, I would say it probably ranks over the backlash match. But I would the fact I can't really remember it probably tells me that this is better. But again, that's purely my opinion. <sighs> well, I'm um, trying to figure out everything. I think we pretty much covered that whole time frame, right? I think so. Yeah, I don't know where both guys really went from here. They just continued to elevate each other and just mm. do great work. And the product was great. And Triple H went on to have great feuds with uh, Kurt Angle and you know uh, Stone Cold when he came back and people like that. But um, yeah, and then The Rock did as well. I think he had a great remainder of 2000. But mm. yeah, I think we pretty much discussed everything that there is to discuss when it comes to the greatest Iron Man match of all time. Right. Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report. Daily DDT. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Russell Rant. Great work for both BR and Daily DDT. Go ahead and check it out. Uh, you can find more episodes of The Wrestling Basement on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. You can find me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. Grandma man, always appreciated. Thanks, Randy. Always appreciate it. I'll catch you on the next one. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. You too. Adios. All right.